Hello, I'm Bernadette McSherry, the Director of the Melbourne Social Equity Institute. One of the most controversial issues in mental health care is the use of coercion to treat people with severe mental health problems. Community or compulsory treatment orders exist to enable mental health practitioners to enforce treatment for severe mental health problems outside of hospitals. They've existed here in Victoria since 1986 and are used around Australia and other countries. But there are varying views and conflicting evidence about the positive and negative effects of compulsory treatment orders on key outcomes. What effect do they have on hospital readmission, length of hospital stay, improved medication compliance or quality of life? There's very little evidence out there. Today, I'm speaking with Dr Stefan Schostrom, an Associate Professor in Social Work and a lecturer in Sociology from Umeå University in Sweden, about his research into what's called compulsory community care in Sweden. Stefan, welcome to the Melbourne Social Equity Institute. <laughs> Thank you, Bernadette. Can you tell us a bit about the research you've been doing in this field and how you became interested in the topic? Yeah. Well, it starts back in the 90s, I suppose. Uh, I studied sociology and also worked extra at a mental health hospital in Uppsala in Sweden. So I sort of connected the dots and, and saw that there is a lot of sociological questions involved in, in mental health care. Uh, and then when I started to do my PhD, I decided I wanted to do something relating to mental health, psychiatry, and then we happened to have new legislation about compulsory care, and so that, that's where basically where, where the money were, so <laughs> <laughs> that became my, my topic. Uh, for my PhD, I wrote a book uh, based on an ethnographic fieldwork. So I stayed for about 18 months at, uh, at an emergency psychiatric clinic in Sweden, sort of following the staff, sitting in during admission interviews with, with patients and, and also following coercive practices in, in sort of everyday situations. And then I also followed some of these patients into the courtroom where, where the cases were tested in administrative courts. And the idea to do that was to, the, the book is called Party or Patient. So in the hospital setting, the, the individual subjected to coercion then is a patient, has the status of patient with, with all the connotation that that brings. But then in, in the courtroom, they become an adverse party to their treating psychiatrist. So the psychiatrist, instead of being the therapist, becomes a kind of prosecutor. And that's uh, that, that, that is that is an interesting situation for both parties, and it's difficult to make sense of. And also, we have we have a clash between two very strong institutions: the institution of law and the institution of medicine. So, lawyers, legal experts have to uh, have to make sense of uh, medical decision making, which is which is because of its. The, the nature of expertise, a hard thing to do. So I was interested in how that came out in the court hearings. So with, with compulsory care, hmm. who actually makes that order? The order is made by any doctor in Sweden and then uh, that gives 
so the, the, that provides the power to to bring the person to hospital, where uh, within 24 hours a psychiatrist has to approve to the to the first decision, and after that the patient can be treated with uh, with the compulsory powers uh, for four weeks, where, where there's a mandatory court hearing. The patient can also appeal before that. And when there's the hearing, mm. is the hearing a matter of confirming the, the order or does the court actually make that order? Uh, it's about confirming the order. Because mm. that, that's how it used to be um, and still is the case in, in mm. many states in Australia. But certainly here in Victoria, we've moved to a mental health tribunal actually making that order. Mm. So I suppose it's it's shifting somewhat from the clinician deciding to a tribunal deciding. Yeah. Hmm. And and what have you found? Because this is actually quite new in Sweden, isn't it? It's only since two thousand and eight. Well, the community compulsory community care hmm. is a new thing since two thousand and eight. Although, like most other countries, there has been a practice of something similar before that. We had something way back in the history called conditional release and then we there were possibilities to have long-term leave for patients who were formerly in patients but might be out of the hospital for for years mm. so but 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 in a in a formal sense it was introduced in 2008 and tell us a bit about your research what have you been finding with how this scheme is working um when interviewing, um, well, compared with, with, with the old practices, it hasn't made a huge difference, really. When you talk to practitioners, uh, the thing that they really highlight is how it has improved the coordination between different uh, service providers. Uh, Sweden has had a tradition of, of uh, problems with the coordination of, of um health services and social services and the care of, of this group of patients really uh, falls sort of between those chairs. It's about treatment, it's about providing support in the home and it's about rehabilitation. And there are a lot of gray zones and questions about who is going to pay for what kind of services. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so, so what happened then was that uh, when the law was passed about compulsory community care, maybe I should call it CCC or, or mm -hmm. CTOs, it's pretty much the same thing, sure. um, was uh, that it, it became mandatory for the uh, psychiatrist who applied for this CTO then uh, to attach a so-called coordinated care plan. And this was... Um, since he had to do that, uh, they actually had to arrange a meeting with social services and they had to sit down and talk about, well, what special provisions should we have for this patient and, okay, well, what should we do when this happens and so on. And this, they claim, made a difference uh, and actually ha has made a difference to improve services. Interestingly, uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with with coercing patients, right? It's it's rather a way of coercing service providers to to provide better services. So that's, I suppose, one of the the benefits 
in that it is a vehicle for coordination yeah, yeah. rather than coercion. Absolutely. In, in your research, did you actually talk to some of the, the people subject to these, these orders? I did, yeah. And, and what were their views? Um, first, it's, it's very hard to pinpoint what the experience of being under compulsory community care is because it's so fuzzy, really. It, you are there, you, you're getting on with life, you're watching television, you're having lunch, and all, all while you are under compulsion. But, but you, most people, I imagine, don't think that much about it. Uh, so many of them struggle to really say that much about it. That there was sort of a general sense that, well, I don't want to be subjected to coercion. On the other hand, most patients then, they weren't that concerned. They didn't feel that it was too bad either. There are exceptions, but most felt. Uh, interestingly, also when they talked about what they liked about it, they tended to talk about services. They said, well, the staff is good and uh, it's become easier to access medicines. Uh, I don't have to pay for the meds now. Uh, things like that, which again doesn't at all have to do with uh, uh, coercing someone to take their meds or anything like that. And in, in terms of your wider research, we're very interested here uh, to explore issues of social equity. Mm. And you, you mentioned resources just then. Do you think that if more resources are put into the mental health system in general and service delivery, then there'd be less need for coercion? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, one, one evidence of that is that... Uh, the Swedish law states that there's one of the criteria for allowing uh, compulsory admission then is that there is an indispensable need for hospital care at the first stage. But uh, but uh, that really depends that the indispensability of that need is depending on the resources and the quality of care, of course. And that is also perhaps one way, uh, one plausible explanation for the vast regional variation. So that it varies a lot within Sweden how uh, how many uh, patients per 100,000 inhabitants who uh, who would be subjected to compulsory care. And there is also a huge variation internationally, and I believe so also in Australia how how much compulsory care. You have, and the, and the other side of that is that it also seems to have to do with sort of some kind of uh, um, cultural uh, tradition within psychiatry. Different places seem to have different uh, different kind of treatment traditions, where where some tend to be more inclined to to use coercion, and some not. And um, Stefan, you've you've been in New Zealand for some time doing some research there. Yeah. Now I know you haven't been doing empirical research <clears throat> as such on the use of community treatment orders, but do you give a have you gained a sense perhaps of the mental health system there and um, how it may compare to to Sweden or Europe in general? Uh, good question. I think that um, well. It, if I would compare with Sweden, it's there is a bit of a paradox because Sweden is Swedish mental health care is quite well funded, 
So if you take into account what I just said, you would expect that we wouldn't have a, that much of compulsory care. On the other hand, we also have this quite strong tradition of, of, of a belief in a welfare state. So we, are also, we, we tend to be perhaps a bit less concerned about the human rights issues. We, we tend to th- believe that, well, if the state does something with people, it's generally for a good purpose and it's it's, it's not too bad. So we have a lar- quite large proportion of patients with under compulsory care in, in Sweden as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I think the discussions regarding risk management, uh, is, uh, you see more of that here. We tend to be less concerned about that in Sweden. Although, so if, yeah, I was just picking up my son at a friend's uh, uh, home in school and they asked me what I did. And, and if, if I tell people that, that, I'm in, that I do research into mental health law, everyone immediately here jumps to, okay, well, then, then it's about dangerous people. And yeah, so you always get into those discussions and that doesn't happen as much in Sweden, I'd say. So if there's one lesson you think that those of us in Australia and New Zealand could learn from Sweden, what would that be? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I've, I'm quite critical, really, to a lot of, of um, issues in, in how this works in Sweden. But, but uh, perhaps we are quite sensible regarding those dangerousness issues, actually, and we tend to be... Uh, there has been a, a project, nat- national-wide project also called, uh, let me see if I can translate this, good services, m- better services, less uh, coercion, which has, uh, where the ambition has been to try to find both techniques, sort of concrete techniques in relation to um, patients under compulsory care, but also in, in general, so how do we do things at treatment wards uh, and uh, social housing facilities and so on to minimize the the need uh, for care? And, and I guess one, one, one problem with having, uh, even if you could argue, it's, it's quite easy to argue that under some circumstances it seems quite reasonable that we have this legislation in place. But one of the biggest problems, I think, is that when you have that option, it, it's always an easy way out. So it doesn't really uh, force service providers to to work as hard as they can to try to to persuade or motivate uh, patients to accept the treatment that service providers think is the best option. Great. Well, Stefan, thanks very much for coming in today and sharing some of your research with us. And uh, we wish you a great stay here in Melbourne and all the best for your future research. Thank you. Thank you.